Well, much has been made over the years of Russia's abilities to win information wars or to at least destabilize other countries. We've talked about it for the 2016 election in the US, the Brexit referendum in England, or in the UK rather, or in England. But not this time. If anything, the Kremlin continues to try to sell a story that many of its own people aren't even buying about the war in Ukraine. But President Vladimir Putin, of course, not one to change his tune, is he? Well, joining me now is Scott Radnitz. He's a professor professor of Russian and Eurasian studies in the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington, and author of a book called The Politics of Conspiracy in Russia and the Post-Soviet Region. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. I guess to start just with many developments in Russia today, um, in, including many rumors of, of martial law, from where you sit, what's happening in, in, in Russia right now? What's changing and how fast is it changing? Well, the Kremlin is faced with this problem uh, that they've been deceiving most uh, the po- whole, whole population about uh, the purpose of this uh, war and the way it's being fought. Um, officially, uh, media within Russia are not allowed to call this a war. The official name for it is a special military operation. And um, the Kremlin was signaling from the beginning uh, that this would not be a long drawn out conflict, that uh, Ukrainians would, would mostly um, with, um, with, the, with the operation that was intended to quote unquote rescue uh, Russians in the eastern part of Ukraine in, in the Donbass. And that left the public pretty unawares of what was going on unless they were following Western media pretty closely. Now the problem is this war has dragged on. There have been a lot more military, Russian military casualties than were did. Uh, only one major city uh, has been captured in Ukraine. Uh, and um, despite lots of anticipation and speculation, the military has yet to capture Kiev or uh, the second largest city Kiev. So the problem facing uh, Putin now is the population is starting to get wind of what's going on uh, through social media, through friends and relatives, uh, by phone, from travel. And uh, there's going to be discontent. There have been large protests on the streets. And as more people also find that um, uh, they're personally going to be harmed by the, the collapsing economy, uh, there's going to be discontent. So it wouldn't be that surprising then if the government uh, took the next step, turned the screws um, by possibly um, uh, announcing uh, the implementation of martial law, or at the very least, going a lot further in limiting uh, the ability of Russians to access information on the internet. We've already seen almost every remaining, quote unquote, uh, independent news agency in Russia shut in the last 24 hours. There's been laws brought in as well. What kind of impact is that having? Right. So just in the last 24 hours, the last remaining independent radio station, Echo of Moscow, and um, the last remaining independent television station, TV Rain, uh, were shut down um, by by orders from above. Uh, Most Russians get their news from state TV. So the kinds of people that were watching these independent channels are are, um, liberal, independently minded, educated people who certainly would be against this this war to begin with. So it's not like um, uh, Putin's base, um, right? People outside of the major cities. uh, We're getting their news from these independent uh, channels to begin with. But it does indicate that the trend is um, toward closing off Russia from outside information. Which moves it 
further uh, further towards being a totalitarian st- state the way we see in many other areas. I mean, this is a complete information control system, is it not? Well, this is what the Kremlin would like. Um, again, when you wage an unpopular war and people are feeling the effects at home, the government would like population to be a captive audience that only gets its information from the government. However, we don't live in the 1950s. Russians have smartphones. Almost everybody is on the internet. Uh, People still have telephone connections and can speak to their relatives abroad. So the Kremlin is going to find it much more challenging now to prevent accurate information from from getting through, from getting through um, this information barrier that it's trying to build. And yet we saw Vladimir Putin today, again, repeating the same lines about the intent of the war and, in his words, the success of the war. He's repeating these same words. I guess those go, that's purely for state television consumption. There is clearly um, this this cognitive dissonance uh, between what the government is telling its people and what people are able to see with their own eyes, if they're able, um, again, if they're able to acquire that information. A government has not deviated from its line that this is not actually a war and um, it's not going to be that um, not going to take that long and it's not going to be that bloody. A quick military operation um, that that is intended, again, to rescue um, Ukrainians. How, how Aurelian is that? Um, it's sticking to the plan and uh, it may not work. Um, I mean, I think the facade is already cracking. People are able to access information. And it's going to be harder and harder um, to, for the Kremlin to tell people not to believe their lying eyes. Yet this is a tactic that has worked, that has been successful for the Kremlin for years. What's made this particular week different from many of the conflicts of the past? Well, authoritarian regimes have a variety of levers they can pull. And propaganda is, of course, an important instrument of power. But ultimately, regimes rely on repression the use of force and the threat of force to deter people from protesting and from speaking out. And as the media uh, loses its effectiveness over time, because people are, um, not everybody, but more and more people are going to start doubting what they're seeing on state TV, the government will then turn increasingly toward um, using violence against its own people. Uh, there's a lot of people who are in, in Russia who are against the war, um, who would go out and protest if it were a democracy, but they're afraid for their well-being, for their families, for their jobs, and therefore they stay silent. And that's part of what allows authoritarian regimes to keep on functioning. The oddity, of course, being if you think back to the 80s, this is exactly how the Soviet Union got into so much trouble when people simply stopped believing what was being to what they were being told. Right. And what led to the collapse uh, was the government loosening loose, loosening its restrictions on, on people's ability to organize and speak out freely. And when people understood that that was possible, they started to do so. And that led, um, that was the first of the, of the dominoes uh, that ultimately led to the um, government losing control of the country and the country falling apart. How effective has it been that the Ukrainian president speaks Russian, that a lot of Ukrainians speak Russian and are able to communicate directly with people inside Russia? This is one of the idiosyncrasies of this particular conflict. Russia and Ukraine are so close and so similar in in so many ways. Uh, Many people on both sides of the border um, have relatives. um, They travel there frequently. Uh, It's almost like if the U.S. and Canada had a war. 
It would be it would be ridiculous, right? It's it's like um, Russians are attacking their own family, and this complicates uh, the ability of of the Russian military to keep up its morale because if they're being told they're fighting an enemy, but then they see these cities in Ukraine that they're so familiar with that they may have traveled to that they might have relatives living in. Um, it might be hard for them to to carry out um, the orders, right? To to shoot people, right? To to bomb buildings or bomb churches. Um, this is a really um, a, a surreal event that's going on right now. And uh, again, I think um, I think Putin may have miscalculated how difficult this would be to carry out. I was going to ask you that because this is not an unsophisticated government at times they know the brute the, you know the power of brute force and the power of of disinformation where do you think the misstep was here then it's always hard to know um right when the initiative for this came from one person and that's vladimir putin and scholars and uh, armchair psychologists have been trying to analyze this man uh, for over 20 years he's now been in power for 22 we don't know exactly what drives him um it's not a secret that he feels like Russia has been disrespected since the end of the Cold War. It's not a secret that he detests NATO um, and has railed against its expansion. Uh, but in the past few months, uh, people who, who've observed him more closely think that he's he's kind of um, he's been isolated. He's been detached uh, from the ability to get good information. He's gotten angrier, possibly more paranoid. And uh, if you watch his speech, either in the original Russian or, or translation that he made uh, right before he announced this war, he does look like a really ang- angry, isolated, and, and possibly uh, paranoid person. Uh, if he's calling the shots, um, then he may not have made you know, a, a careful calculation of the costs and benefits of starting this conflict. I'm back with Scott Radnitz, professor of Russian and Eurasian studies in the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington and author of The Politics of Conspiracy in Russia and the Post-Soviet Region. You know, they say the always said that, you know, the first victim of war is truth. Um, that's probably been the case in Russia for quite a long time. Uh, how important is conspiracy in all this? Because we've already seen conspiracy theories flying around. Uh, about the causes of this war, or at least why this war is being fought by the Russians? Conspiracy theories are a major part of the justification, not only for this conflict, but for uh, a lot of Russian foreign policy actions um, going back uh, probably to the 2008 invasion of Georgia. A lot of members of Putin's generation uh, from who, who came of age in the Cold War and especially people in the security services, people who were loyal to the Soviet Union until the end, came out of the Cold War with this idea, the end of of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union were unfair and were the product of uh, Western duplicity and conniving and uh, and duplicity by by Gorbachev himself for for giving in and negotiating with the West instead of uh, cracking down at home and threatening the West. So there's long been this narrative uh, among members of the Russian elite, especially in the security forces, that the West is still out to weaken Russia, uh, to keep it down, to make sure that it can't play any role in the world as a great power anymore. And it is argued that the expansion of NATO all the way up to Russia's borders is part of that plan to keep Russia in a box, essentially. And so 
this narrative has been circulating for, for a long time. It's out in the open. Uh, it's on state TV. And there are, there are smaller versions of this narrative. Anytime there's a mass protest in a country uh, that's mostly pro-Russian, the Kremlin claims that these protests must have been incited um, by the West and the protesters are paid or the CIA is involved. There's some variation of that. And this has been out there for a very long time. So by the time we get to 2021 and 22, uh, the propaganda that the West is out to get Russia has has been around for a long time. And, and Russians may not all believe it, but they've heard it. It's familiar to them. And so when Putin now has to justify uh, this current invasion, he can latch on to that existing narrative that everybody's heard and then uh, argue that, well, it's time for Russia to do something about it, right? The West is trying to, to harm us, keep us weak. And now we have to fight back or, or something even worse will happen. That certainly leads one to believe that they're not in a position to step away from this, to back off, given that that's the narrative they put out there, that it's essentially about Russia's survival as opposed to bullying a smaller neighbor. This is correct. Putin has not left himself an off-ramp. As it's framed, this war in Ukraine is existential for the survival of Russians. Putin has said in the last week, we have no choice. We had to do this. And when the war is discussed in those terms, it's really hard to imagine what kind of, of compromise could be reached with Ukraine or, or, or with uh, Western powers. Um, he's, by doing this, he's also signaled to resolve. He's, he's shown the West that he really means business and he's not going to stop. And that means at this point, at least a week into the war, it's really hard to see how this ends uh, short of more, uh, more and more bloodshed. What have you been seeing on social? I, mean, I don't know how closely you're following Russian social media these days, but with all the sanctions coming in, with lineups at, at ATMs, with mortgage rates skyrocketing, the ruble collapsing, what has the, been the reaction within the country? And is it enough to persuade the Kremlin to change gears? The propaganda that's coming out in Russia, even that's circulating on social media, mostly begins through state channels, through okay. uh, official speeches, through state TV, uh, and through um, pro-Kremlin um, websites and television stations like RT and Sputnik, which also broadcast abroad. Uh, so the, um, then the government uh, has pro-Kremlin proxies who spread this through social media. Sometimes they use bots, which are, um, which are auto automatic ways of spreading uh, social media memes. And that's how the, the message is getting out. Uh, I don't think, though, that um, people are necessarily finding that very convincing because, uh, as I mentioned, right, what it's the same message they're getting on TV and it's at odds with, with reality. But what I expect to see more and more now is now that sanctions are taking hold and it's pretty clear that the West is responsible for the dire state of the Russian economy, the Kremlin will, might now start saying, this proves that we are right all along. The West is out to get us. We were doing the small-scale military operation and look what they've done to us. They've destroyed our economy. They're sending us back into the 90s, uh, an era that, um, that many Russians were happy that they, they got past. Uh, they're uh, excluding um, Russians from um, exporting events and music events and um, the ability to interact with, um, internationally. And they can use this now to, 
create the sense of a siege mentality. And, uh, and again, to, to vindicate themselves that really this was all a plot against Russia to begin with. Will it work? It might work. Um, at the longer the war drags on, though, the harder it will be to maintain that posture. Scott Radnitz, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. An interesting book, too, The 